Welcome to the Dietitian Boss Podcast. I'm Libby Rothschild, creator of Dietitian Boss. After almost four years of sitting in my dimly lit, windowless clinical office, I had enough. I wanted to feel like my work mattered, so I did something about it. I created a program that empowers dietitians and nutritionists to create their own private practice from scratch and emboldens already established practitioners to think bigger. My method provides a step-by-step process to improve how you market yourself on social media so your presence can become far more profitable and help more people. excited today to have Britton Coleman, registered dietitian based in San Francisco, California, on today's episode. Britton specializes in biomedical nutrition and functional medicine for children with ASD, ADHD, and neurodevelopmental disorders throughout her private practice, Autism Dietitian. She helps parents across the U.S. take the guesswork out of special diets, supplemental recommendations, and lifestyle changes to feel their best and therefore do their best and be their best. Her approach is focused on addressing the root cause, not just treating the symptoms. She uses biomedical labs to make recommendations based on results, not suspicions. She is a sibling of an individual with autism and is dedicated to helping parents all over the world lay the groundwork for proper nutrition for their children all across the spectrum. Hello and welcome. Super happy to have you here today, Britton. Thanks so much, Libby. I'm glad to be here. I love that bio. That was great. Thanks. That was was well-crafted. I I enjoyed introducing you with that. That was uh, really, really well-crafted and we'll we'll dive more into your message, but I love that you captured what you do and why you do it and you do really important work. So um, I'm happy to have you on and I know Autism Month is coming up, right? Next month too? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll get this to air during Autism Month so we can make sure that we're really supporting the cause and, and, and bringing awareness to what you do and who you help. So I think that's important. Thank you. Yeah, so you want to go into a little bit more for, for those that, of course, don't know you and don't know either what autism means or, or what autism nutrition really, uh, how it works. You want to explain a little bit of that background for the, for the listeners? Absolutely. So I work with parents who have kids with autism. So autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder, which usually kids are diagnosed around two to three years old. And if you're not familiar with autism, um, there's one in 49 children, 148 children right now who are diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So the odds are that you do know somebody who's diagnosed with autism or somebody in your family is. And nutrition is so important for kids with autism because they're at higher risk to have nutrition problems. With autism, you often have sensory processing issues, which means that you interpret your senses in a different way, and it could be heightened. And so this causes increase in picky eating and because eating is one of your most sensory rich experiences. And so that can lead to other nutrition issues like nutrient deficiencies or gut issues like constipation is the most common thing that we see. And then they also have increased risk of gut issues like bacterial imbalance in the gut, yeast overgrowth, there's a lot of underlying issues there. And nutrition is the groundwork. And so working with parents to 
help their kids feel their best, expand their diet, get to the root of constipation. There's a lot going on, but nutrition is really the groundwork for these kiddos. Fantastic. And I'd like to hear a little bit more uh, about your brother. So how did you come to you know, crafting out this space? Did you have other ideas before you landed on autism nutrition? And then, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your, your story and your background. You know, I, I actually don't know as much about your story that as I do about you as a businesswoman. So I think this will be fun to dive in a little bit. Definitely. So my brother's 26 now and he was diagnosed with autism when he was two. So he's two years older than, or two years younger than me, goodness. And so I always, you know, from when I can remember he's had autism. And so it's really taught me a lot about autism. I mean, he was nonverbal until, until he was four. He was in different therapies growing up. I mean, the way that I bonded with him was going to his therapies with him and doing speech and OT and ABA all of these things with him, that was the way that we bonded. And so it's definitely a different sibling relationship, but it's really neat to see how far it's come. Uh, he's incredible and the sweetest person that you'll ever meet. He looks like my older brother because he's like six, five and just this massive teddy bear and the sweetest person you will ever meet. And I could talk so much about him because he's incredible. But I think Growing up with him, I realized, I mean, he only ate five different foods growing up. And I remember it was like chips, applesauce, McDonald's, chicken nuggets, and french fries and yogurt. And those were the few things that he would eat. And I grew up with food sensitivities and he did too. And so it was, I mean, growing up with it, you just see how much of a struggle it was for my mom to help him get the right nutrition. And then when he was getting the right nutrition, how much better he felt. And he could verbalize that too and say, you know, when I'm not taking my supplements or when I'm not eating a certain way, I can definitely feel that I don't feel my best. And so that can be hard to verbalize for those with autism, especially for people who have autism, but are nonverbal and they can't communicate that. So helping them be able to feel better with nutrition is something that just is a very deep desire for me because I've seen that with my brother and help him feel his best. So, yeah. That's and how did you, and I, I love the story as well as you bonded with him going to his therapies and you mentioned the five foods that he chose growing up. Can you talk a little bit about how did you decide to make this connection as a dietitian? with autism, what was that journey like? And then what is your family and your, your, you know, your partner, how do they support you doing this? Cause it's really meaningful. First of all, the, the line of work is incredible and helpful, but secondly, you've got that personal story. So I'd like to hear, just unpack that a little more about how you came to that point. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that I grew up knowing that I wanted to be an autism dietitian. I didn't even know I wanted to be a dietitian until I was in my sophomore year of college and it was the first day of school and I hated all my classes. And so I went to go change and figured out that nutrition was an option. So I applied, got in, you know, started, you know, as a dietetics student and they would always ask you, you know, what area of nutrition do you want to go into? And I mean, I didn't have an answer for that. And I was like, you know, it could be interesting to go into autism. Like, I'll just say that. And when I would say, you know, I'm interested in nutrition for children with autism, heads would turn. My teachers were like, what do you mean? <laughs> I, I, I thought it was wild. And I was like, you guys don't see the need for this at all. And I think just seeing how wide of a gap there was, I was like, okay, this is the area because I, I know so much about it. I feel like I have such a, an interesting perspective having a brother with autism. And so 
I mean, I remember in the beginning of dietetic school, I was like, you know what, this is, this is the area that I need to go into because I feel called to it. And it's something that I really love. So that's, that's really where it all began was just the beginning of dietetic school. Yeah. So you're a total pioneer in the space. Now, would you agree that you've carved out this space? I mean, did you feel intimidated knowing, like you said, heads turn when you said you wanted to do this, you were early on where, you know, your colleagues can struggle with identifying their space in dietetics. You came about it much earlier. So did that help propel your private practice or that like talk a little bit about how, after you chose that, did you have any struggles or imposter syndrome, or did you just say, this is my compass and why, and then you just went with it and just, and we'll get to that point in a minute too, and talk about your private practice journey more broadly. Yeah, I definitely think that it made me realize that there's a need for, you know, someone like me in this area. And so there weren't very many dietitians and there still aren't that specialize in autism. In fact, I remember doing a Google search and I think I found two whenever I first uh, became interested. There was no one in the area that I could be mentored by like it was just wide open there were some like nutritionists that did it but no dietitians and so i just you know every single opportunity i had in school to dive into autism nutrition like my thesis or um, different capstone projects or whatever it might be i just chose always autism just to deepen my understanding and yeah I had an imposter syndrome and sometimes I still do not very often, but I still do. And I think that's something to be talked about, even being an established dietitian and feeling, feeling very well educated in my field it still happens. Absolutely. And how do you work through it? Well, I really love having a community of other dietitian bosses who also feel that. And I said that, or I think someone else was talking about that on a call maybe a month or so ago. And it was nice to connect about it, but I just take a step back and I just think of the clients that I'm working with currently are the ones I've worked with in the past and the kind of progress that they've seen. And I take a look at my Instagram and kind of just remind myself of how far that I've come and how many people I've helped. And I think that helps me kick myself out of it. Yeah, those are fantastic um, actionable steps for the audience to just keep refocusing. And uh, I really, you're a trendsetter, a total trendsetter for getting on top of this sooner on in your career, right? And really taking every opportunity in school to dive in and then just continuing to, to pave the way. What does your family and, and specifically brother think now? Are they just super proud of you? And then, <laughs> oh my goodness, they must just, this must mean a lot to your family. So what's, what's kind of cool is my mom is a psychologist who specializes in kids with autism and diagnoses kids with autism every day, even before my brother was diagnosed. So it's very much a family, uh, not a family approach, but I mean, it's basically my mom's life. It's my life. I mean, it's everyone's life because of Barrett too. And so I know that my parents and my brother are very proud that I go into this area. I don't know that my brother completely understands everything that I do. I try to explain it to him and he's like, oh, nice. And then changes the subject, but he, he gets it. He understands why it's important, but my mom loves it. She loves talking about nutrition and autism. She started back in the mid nineties using nutrition for autism with my brother. And that's like, unheard of. So she was definitely a pioneer in this space too. Awesome. So that must've influenced you as well. Definitely. Yes. And, and Barrett, that's your brother's name? Barrett. Yes. And I, I love when you show him on Instagram, I think it's so powerful. Was that hard for you to share that story? Cause that is vulnerable or did you need to ask 
you know, permission of the family and Barrett, or did you just kind of go forward with it? My family is really open about it. And so I think it's different for different families. You know, I've worked with some families who have kids with autism that don't talk about it and it's very private. And for us, it was never private. I mean, like I, (laughs) I remember when I was in elementary school, I would be like, hi, my name's Britton. You know, uh, my brother is autistic or whatever. And nobody knew, I wouldn't probably say that, but nobody knew what autism was. And they, I would have to explain to them, you know, as a six-year-old, what autism was. And, but I've always been really proud of him. And I mean, I think all of my friends growing up and I mean, anyone who knew me knew it was like Britton and Barrett. And he was just my little baby brother. And, but I was very proud of him. We were very open about talking about it and educating about it. And my mom would, you know, go to my brother's classrooms before he started uh, each year and educate his classroom about autism and how to interact with him or how he might be a little different. And I really think that that helped with bullying and all of these things and them seeing him in this light where they know what to do. They understand what's going on. And I'm such a huge advocate for autism awareness and education because I think a lot of people just don't understand it and they don't know what to do. And they're just like anybody else. They just might need you to meet them where they are instead of the other way around. Beautiful. I love that. And that's exactly what you're doing, right? You're educating people and you're creating a space and and you're showing families that they can be vulnerable and open. And then that'll segue perfectly into private practice because recently you've created a new space with an offer uh, that you you have. So I I think that'll be great. We can talk about that, but I, I really do appreciate you sharing that. Um, I know a lot of people are going to feel really inspired after hearing your story and your higher purpose, right? Like why you're doing what you're doing, what it means to you on a deep level. I think that's really connecting. Um, so to, to zoom out a little bit, can you chat about your journey in private practice and yeah, just a little bit about, I know you've been doing this for a few years. So break down, what was it like at, at the beginning and just anything you want to share? Um, it's always fun to hear your journey. Yeah, I started my private practice about four years ago and um, at the time didn't have a ton of supports on like how to create a private practice. I was basically fresh out of grad school and I didn't have any resources in grad school or undergrad that prepared me for being a private practice dietitian. And I would say I probably dove into it a little sooner than I would have expected. I always knew that I wanted to be in private practice and I just didn't think that it would happen that quickly, fresh out of grad school. And the reason why that happened, I knew that I really wanted to work with kids with autism. And I started working at a clinic for kids with developmental disabilities. And it was very PRN, like very, very, I think I was working Thursdays maybe. And I had so much more time and I was like, why not now? Why not start now? And at the time, my husband was playing uh, professional soccer and, you know, it it just, you get traded and all these things. And I was like, what if I could have a a private practice? Because at the time he was my boyfriend, we were dating long distance, but I was like, what if I can have this practice where I can still work with the people I want to work with, reach more people. And also if he got traded to another team, I could, it wouldn't be a big deal. I could go wherever I wanted. I have a lot of flexibility and we love to travel. So I was like, it just makes sense. So I kind of started that and with the idea of, yeah, eventually when that happens, it'll be nice. And then I started loving it, eventually stopped working at that clinic and started expanding my private practice. But this is over years of time. It take, took time to be able to be 
full time and make a living. I wish I would have had those kind of supports like you four years ago. There just wasn't a ton of support at that point. I feel like there's been so much more support in private practice over the past few years. Yeah, it's growing and you again are a pioneer in that area. So it sounds like you are motivated by the flexibility to be able to be location independent, mm-hmm. right? Because of your familial situation. And Definitely. that motivated you to get started earlier on and it took a few years. So let's let's go then to now. How are things going now? And then do you want to explain a little bit about what you offer? Mm-hmm. Definitely. So now I'm completely virtual, full-time dietitian. I mean, I've been full-time for a few years now in my own private practice and financially I'm making more than I ever thought that I would. So I'm really happy about that. And, you know, help from you has been incredible to get there too. My offers really developed over the years. So when I first started private practice, I was in person and I would just have, you know, an initial consult. I was taking insurance. You know, sometimes people would come back, sometimes they wouldn't. It was so sporadic. And then I started offering uh, packages maybe a year after that where it'd be like an initial consult and three follow-up consults, something like that. I eventually stopped taking insurance because we moved to San Francisco and you can't make a living on insurance here because it's the most expensive city in the US. So that was not gonna work if I wanted to you know, pull my weight in our marriage. And so, and that's really important to me that I was able to contribute. And at the beginning of our marriage, I was not able to contribute very much. And I always felt bad about that. And now I, I don't, <laughs> which is another thing that we can talk about. But then I moved into doing private coaching packages, like three to six month long programs. And then eventually it went really well. And I mean, I'm blessed to say that my caseload filled up, but I was so burnt out. And I just was like, how can I somehow do more, make more, but have more free time? Because when I signed up to be a private practice dietitian, I signed up for the flexibility. And this is now not very flexible because I'm working all the time. So I created a membership and we can talk more about that. But now I'm moving more from the private practice area and to group coaching with your help. And just recently launched my first group on Monday, just two days ago, and am filling my second group right now. And I'm already so relieved. Incredible. So thank you for sharing that story. I love your honesty about the burnout. And I got to admit, you make everything sound easy. So no, what <laughs> it's not. What would have been, is there been a challenge or anything that uh, maybe just a difficult day or situation you want to share? I, I love the story, but uh, I want to just make sure that we're, we're being honest that private practice does take work. <laughs> oh my God. It takes so much work. And I almost threw in the towel so many times when I first moved here, I wasn't making, or to San Francisco, we moved here in 2018. I was not making very much money and I wasn't getting very many clients and I could like pay off my credit card bill sometimes. And it was, I just felt so bad that I like couldn't contribute and pull my weight. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm going to apply to work as a pediatric dietitian at Stanford Children's or like these other places nearby. And I like reached out to physicians because I was like, can I work as a dietitian under you? I just wanted some stability and thank goodness they didn't work out because I don't know that I would be here today if I just would have 
you know, done that. And so I just decided to stick with it and, you know, get additional help. And, but it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And so having support from like people like you, like, I wish I would have known about you sooner when I would have been in that moment. Cause I was feeling so burnt out and like, just didn't know if I could keep going in my private practice. And what do you think motivated you to, to keep going at that point? And that's, I'm happy that you brought that up because I think all of us have that moment. And unfortunately, some of us give up or we give up too soon. And so I just want to send that honest message that um, the successful dietitians like you have kept going when times have been difficult. Do you think that being clear about your, you know, your higher purpose and doing what you do dedicated to your brother? Do you think that helped or what do you think motivated, or is it the fact that you wanted to contribute? Cause you mentioned that a couple of times in your marriage. And so what, what kind of drove you on difficult days to keep going? I mean, same thing. I would think back to the clients that I helped and there aren't very many dietitians who do what I do. And I was like, if I give up now, I'm going to do a disservice to so many people that I could help. And so my mentality was like, well, I'm still helping, you know, however many people that I was seeing at the time. And then I also thought of my future too. I mean, again, back to the flexibility, the whole reason I wanted to do this was for the flexibility to be my own boss, do all these things. And we don't have kids yet, but that's, you know, one of our goals here in the next few years is to start having kids. And I like can't wait to be a mom. And that is a huge motivation for me. And is also a motivation for me now is to like figure out a way to scale and have more time to myself so that when we do have kids, I'll be able to still run my business and then spend time with them in those like precious years. And so that was something that I remember reminding myself. It's like, if I give up now, I, I, you know, I would just give up on everything that I was on those goals that I would have for myself. So that's a huge motivator for me. Incredibly inspiring. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, and you, you did mention also the, you know, the contribution aspect, like you like to be a contributor and that's important in your marriage. Can you speak a little bit about what motivates that or what does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, my husband, Jack is very, very supportive. And you asked me that earlier and I didn't mention him, but I am just so grateful for him because every step, even when I wasn't making very much and you know, I get thousand dollars a month or something, which in San Francisco, it's like, you can't live on, <laughs> you can't. But he is the most supportive person and always reminds me of that. And so I'm really, really grateful for him. And the way that our relationship has always worked is that it's 50-50. There's no like, like we both pull the weight and whatever it is, whether it's like errands or cooking or whatever it might be, it's 50-50. And so I just, I hated the feeling that I wasn't contributing my half of it. And he didn't feel that way. It reminded me that it's like, He's just happy that I'm doing what I loved, but I just had that deep desire. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be <laughs> not, I want to make as much as him, if not more <laughs> to be able to contribute. So that was just a big deal for me that we weren't, I wasn't able to contribute. And when you did, or when you were able to make more than thousand dollars a month, and it sounds like Jack's supportive either way, but it, again, it's an internal thing. How did you feel? Did you celebrate that? Is that something that would like, that's a big deal, right? To go from thousand dollars a month in San Francisco to you know meeting your goals is definitely an accomplishment. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we're open about, I mean, we have to in marriage to talk about finances, but it never felt like a, a competition. Now I just said, I wanted to make more than him. I think that's just me being like setting goals for myself. 
but it's never been a competition for us. But I mean, I remember selling like my first big package and he got home from work and we were like celebrating so excited. And he's just, he's very supportive. And yeah, I mean, it feels great to be able to make that much. And I mean, now it's like my goal for this year is to make $200,000 profit. And so I feel really grateful that I'm able to do what I do and then support our family and our growing family, hopefully soon. But I just feel very excited about it. And he's really supportive in that. Incredible. I love that you've set that goal and I love that you're on your way. And so when it comes to group coaching, I do want to go back to that. You mentioned that you've, you're filling your second group. I also know that once you announced it, you booked up with sales calls. So I just feel like it, your audience just wants your support, right? They want to be in your membership when you offer your group, they're excited. So how does it feel, I guess, if you're talking about the membership and the group, how does either one of those models or both of those models bring you and your audience, your, your, your clients, joy? Like what, what are those, what, can you talk a little bit about those models and why you like either one and what it means to, to people who get to you know, purchase your services? Definitely. So, I mean, first of all, just even talking about my audience, uh, my audience is mostly women. I, I was looking at my stats, like 96% women ages like 25 to 35. So women who have young kids with autism is my main audience. And let me just say, parents who have a kid with autism are like the biggest superheroes because they're constantly doing research. They're constantly digging and you know, trying to figure out what can I do next to help my child. Thinking back on that, I just am so blessed to have such an amazing audience. And they're so supportive too. They are so eager to jump into any opportunities. So that makes it easier for me. But there also are so few dietitians out there that do this, that it's also just such a narrow field. So they need support and they're looking for that. And there just aren't very many resources to tell them about this. So that's the first thing that I will say. I have my membership, I have my group coaching, and then in the past have done the private coaching too. The reason that I started the membership was because uh, for a few different reasons, of course, it's nice to make passive income. But at the same time, a lot of parents who have kids with autism are in PT, OT, speech, ABA, all of these therapies and spending, oh, like it can be over hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on therapies that might not be covered from insurance. Now that's a very high estimate, but I mean, tens of thousands of dollars for most people. And so to have another therapy sometimes can just be a lot and so having something in your back pocket, like my membership, where they can refer back to the low amount each month that they can have access to is something that a lot of people were looking for to at least get started and get that kind of support. And then from there, my group option would be the next option for them that is also more affordable for them because they are doing so many therapies, but I think is a great model for that reason too. And I'm able to serve my clients a little bit better because I have multiple offers that can kind of meet them with what kind of support they need or, you know, a different financial need as well. And you mentioned recently to me that the group call is powerful, right? In the group program. Talk to us a little bit about just some differences with the level of support in the membership. I'm assuming that, or I do know, the deliverables are lighter than your group program. And so when they pay more and, and you're getting people in that experience for a group program, and they're ready for that journey. Are they, they're getting that community in that space with like-minded families 
they're learning on a more in-depth level. Like how is that for them? And does that fill you up? Yeah. So my membership called the Autism Nutrition Library, there is a community forum where they can ask questions, but there's so much more to being with people in video and being able to speak with them. And what's so special about this area is that a community is truly so important whenever you're raising a child on the spectrum. And so what's really special about this group, like I was telling you earlier, is that it's more than just nutrition. There's more here than just getting nutrition support. And that's the reason why they're here. But it was so special to be able to see parents supporting each other outside of just nutrition. Uh, like yesterday's call that we were on, we talked about, you know, some visual supports that help children with autism. And some parents said, you know, I don't even know what that is. And all these other parents hopped in and said, this is what's helped us. Here's like, they had like these visuals that they had in front of them, like these token boards that they use with their children. And they're like, this is what we use. And they were sharing. It was so special to be able to see that. And in a past group that I ran last year, it was a mom who had just gotten a diagnosis for her son about a week prior And she brought that to the call and she started crying and all the other parents came off mute and they were like, Hey, we've been there. We know how like hard and devastating a diagnosis can be, but like, we're here for you. And I was just, I had to like take my video off because I just couldn't control that kind of emotion that was brought to the call. I didn't really turn off my video, but it's so special and it's just more than that. So that's why I'm also really excited to have, this kind of a group option to support these parents. That's a really powerful space, right? So not just during COVID, which we all know that's special, right? And we want to create a safe space for people that might not have that accessibility or the, you know, wherever they live. So you're creating a really fantastic opportunity to bring people together and where you do have that on, on different accessible levels, right? Your membership is more affordable. It might not be as in depth. So they can still, they can connect for free on social, they can connect on a deeper level in your membership and then they can connect on a much more intimate level and really share and support one another in, in those calls. And, and the fact that it's moved you and I know it's moved your clients, that must be so meaningful to kind of reflect and think, wow, like you created that space. It's really special. I'm really grateful that parents trust me in that kind of way where they can have that kind of community together. Absolutely. Fantastic. All right. So I want to ask a couple questions for our colleagues specifically who are probably very much inspired from your story, but they don't want to be burnt out. So with the multiple offers you have and a passion, how do you kind of unplug or balance? I know recently you took some time off. Are you able to separate business and personal? And what tips do you have for the listeners who might be inspired but scared that they don't, they don't know if it's possible to have it all? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I would say that's something that I've been working on for a long time is separating personal and business. And that was just one small step at a time, like getting a work phone instead of having everything on my personal phone or like turning off my emails on the weekend. So I don't get the notification. So I think that's still a work in progress for me because I love what I do and I could work every day. And for the sake of myself and being able to, you know, have that time to take away from my business, but also for the sake of my marriage and not being on all the time. 
Um, I've had to make sure that I learn ways for that work-life balance. And it's definitely gotten easier over the past six months or so. I hired on an assistant and it's just been so nice to be able to delegate those tasks to her and not have to worry about some of that stuff and, and just take all the stuff I hate off my plate for her to do it. So that's been really nice. And I think it's allowed me to also relax a little bit more knowing that like my business, like my baby is taken care of as well on those times where I'm not there. And so now I have a better work-life balance and I was able to go on vacation for five days and like look at my computer once. And it was just the most exciting thing to be able to be away in like Palm Springs and get a massage and be by the pool and go to Joshua Tree and like all of these great things that in the past I would have like maybe restricted myself from having that much fun because I would have been like, I have to work. And did Jack notice or did it, was he cool either way? Uh, while we were there? Yeah, he noticed. And okay, because it sounds like at this time you had more boundaries where previously you didn't. I was wondering if if he made note of that or if he was just supportive either way in, in your journey towards, you know, having more boundaries with your personal and, and your work life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's noticed. And even those small steps like taking off email off my phone so that I can't see it on the weekends. He notices that too. I think that it helps me also just be more present. Yeah, absolutely. But it takes time. It's hard to pull yourself away when it's your business. It's hard to not work. And it's definitely a common struggle. And it's a good problem to have when you love what you do that you have to pull yourself away from it. But it also is important so that you can plan for other things such as, you know, time with your partner, time traveling, you know, the future of children and all those things that are important to you and and whoever's listening, whatever's important to the listeners, right? So Mm -hmm. um, thank you for sharing that specific example and then reflecting on the past. You said that you recently hired somebody. Any quick tips on that as we kind of wrap up as far as hiring and delegating? You know, that's a tough issue for a lot of your colleagues. Oh my gosh. It was so hard. I mean, For me, I didn't start delegating anything until year three of business. And I don't know why. I just was scared to hand it off because I thought that I was the only one who could do exactly what I do. There's so many admin tasks that I didn't need to be doing that. I didn't need to be the one ordering labs or uploading stuff or scheduling my clients and tracking all of these things. And so I started with one small thing and it was my emails that I started with last year that I had uh, one of my, my friends start doing my emails for me. And I was like, oh my gosh, like what a relief. And I think that just encouraged me to start like delegating. And so I eventually hired the assistant and I was just like, why did I not do this so long ago? Because it's so worth it that I feel so much better about like, or I just love what I do so much more because I get to enjoy like the stuff that I do, I thoroughly enjoy and I don't have to worry about all that. So I would say just start with one small thing, even if that means like passing off your email newsletter to get done. It's like delegating that first thing is the hardest. And then gradually finding those other tasks, writing down the tasks that you think somebody else could probably do for you. And I couldn't say more. I wish I would have started delegating way earlier. I would have loved what I did a lot more. That's a great reflections. And then when you said, you know, starting with a small task and you mentioned your friend helped with emails, when you think back to that, even though it was a few years ago, was there something specific that happened that kind of moved you forward faster to have that friend help? 
was there a specific moment or was it, a re- it was it difficult for you to, to start? Because I think a lot of the listeners even have a hard time starting with one thing. So if you remember any reason as to why, or if you just kind of one day said, someone just suggested and you said, okay. I guess my business was growing and I just didn't have time to write. I hadn't written a newsletter in like five months. It had been a long time. And I was like, this is something that needs to happen, but I hate it so much. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to just gonna try this and see how it goes. And that's kind of how it started. <laughs> and then I just gradually built it up. But I would say, it, like I said, I just wish I would have written down all the stuff that I hated to do earlier instead of forcing myself to do it because then I didn't enjoy what I was doing. And if I just would have delegated it would have been such a different story. And because that's one thing that I became frustrated with a little bit with private practice is like, you don't realize how much admin stuff there is too. And there's billing. And, you know, now I have a CPA who does all of my billing and bookkeeping. And it's just such a relief to like, let go of all of those admin tasks that I never realized that I was going to do. I was like, okay, so when can I see my patients? I'm like here doing admin work. <laughs> I'm like, What's the fun in this? I didn't sign up to be a bookkeeper. So I just wish someone would have told me to delegate sooner. Yeah. Well, you're getting some great valuable insights for the listeners on that note. Thank you for sharing your story. I think this is a really nice way to inspire your colleagues and let them get to know you and and autism, which is what you do and and why you do it. As we wrap up, is there any final things that you might want to share or reflections for the listeners? Oh, man. I mean, if you're thinking of starting a private practice, the first thing that comes to mind for me is just to take one small step, whatever feels manageable for you, just to make that step, because it is truly amazing. You know, once you get going and get all of your systems in place, it takes time, but just take one small step, because if that's your goal, you're probably the one holding yourself back. And I am glad that I kind of was just forced in, like I started doing it and jumped in. And I just think like, what if I wouldn't have done that? I think I would have put it off for a long time. And so just take one small step (laughs) to start. Yeah. Just to think when you hired your first, you know, friend or person to help you out with writing that newsletter a couple of years ago, who would have thought that, you know, that you'd be making on your way to making $200,000 a year, you know, within your first few years of private practice, right? Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. So it's, it's inspiring for the listeners to know okay, I'll take a small action step. So I think that's a a manageable way for them to to move forward. So thank you again, Brittany, if you just want to share where everybody can find you on social and and, uh, make sure they're supporting you and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks. You can find me on Instagram at Autism Dietitian. And I also run the Autism Nutrition Library. You can find more information about that in my bio as well. And find me online at autismdietitian.com. Fantastic. If you are inspired by this episode, click subscribe so we can fill your library with encouragement each week. Every day, your potential clients are searching online for professionals like you with the hopes of finding the right person who can make a genuine impact on their well-being and life. Join my group coaching program and follow the Dietitian Boss Method. You will be surrounded by other amazing dietitian bosses from around the world who will be there to cheer you on, support you, give you feedback, and provide you a spark for new ideas, all while following the proven dietitian boss method. You will be able to share your successes and struggles with people who get it, 
Book a call with my team to learn how you can become your own boss. 